0: I've been trying to think I had something that I wanted to follow up on the on the health stuff last week and I can't remember what it was.
1: Do you want to keep thinking? And I could I could launch into F U. Thank you, if John Saragusa, for that, that acronym. I have some follow-up. Um Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Stuart, if you'd mind bearing with us while we go through some follow up. I don't know if you listened to the last episode at all. Um, but the couple of two items of follow-up from, from last episode. Um one was We talked uh, briefly about your um, seven-minute workout app. Okay. Um, So we had a question in the episode about uh, how do we um, look after our our own health and well-being and fitness is part of that. Um, And it launched into a discussion about how we all wished we did better, although um, Ben, who's not with us today – probably is doing the best at the moment and um I, he certainly I, looks like he's doing the best <laughs> <laughs> i feel like I, I need i need all the help i can get
2: yeah i mean i'm the same i if you um if you met me you'd see fitness is probably the furthest thing from you know more front of my mind so uh, that was part of the reason that that was chosen you know just to t- find an idea that was completely outside my comfort zone to you know just show I guess prove prove the point. You know, you don't need specific domain knowledge to build a simple idea. It's you know, it's about the marketing and the positioning and the you know the experimenting.
1: Yeah, cool. But I was reading um from from your blog posts about it um that you were using it as well. That you thought you you know were going to have a go at at doing the the seven minute workout. And I um I, I've downloaded your app and thought about using it. So that was what, what prompted us to talk about you was, you know, what are we going to do about fitness? And I thought that that looks like a good idea. Uh, and I tried it out. Um, I didn't actually get as far as doing the workout because, um, <laughs> my, the, what I'm finding is, and I touched on this last episode a bit was, um, the, the, my biggest problem at the moment is finding time or making time to be more active. And so I, I went down the path of getting a, a Fitbit to try and understand better where I'm getting kind of, um, occasional activity as a coincidence, you know, just activity that happens without me having to schedule it and where I'm, I'm not being active and to try and understand then, you know, pick some times so that I can schedule some more activity. So that's my follow up is um, that I did end up going and getting the Fitbit and I've been using it and realizing that I'm even less active than I thought I was, right. which is really sad. <laughs> the next stage is to, you know, do something about it, which um, I don't know what I'm going to do, but um, yeah. How, how did you go with the, with, just the workout itself rather than before you get discussing the app.
2: Um, um... yeah it's definitely good I think you know it's it's you know seven minutes I'm not sure it's the you know you can't eat hamburgers for lunch and dinner and then do seven minutes in the morning and think you're going to be okay it's I think it's um, you know I've kind of like faded in and out of doing it as well but I think definitely when I do it in the mornings and I get in the routine of doing it, you definitely do feel a lot better. And I think you just become more active during the day. So I think it's a, it's just a good part of the, like a whole exercise and lifestyle change rather than being the, the be all and end all for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I find even just thinking more about trying to be more active that uh, it has flow and effects for choices about eating and things as well. Like I, you know, I've, been using my fitbit and going am i going to get to my ten thousand steps today or not and then when i do and then i think about what i'm going to eat for lunch or something i'm like well hang on if i've just been celebrating the fact that i got to my ten thousand steps i'm now am i going to really sit down and eat this whole pizza
2: yep exactly I, i find the same thing when i'm in the routine of doing seven minute workout in the morning then i come to lunch and i'm making a choice and you tend to make the better choice just because you you don't want to waste what you've done in the morning i guess so
1: yeah yeah exactly which is which is good, a virtuous cycle. Yes, um, but we'll certainly talk more about that app uh, shortly. But I got one other little bit of FU, Um which is about we'd also discussed last episode uh, caching.
0: Caching. It's caching. Yeah, I I'm, don't bow to the pressure from I the just, Americans, man. I
1: don't want to hurt their sensitive little ears by saying they, caching they too will, often. They need to learn. Right. Okay. So we. Well, I was asking about caching. Um, I was. I was actually doing some uh, Xamarin stuff and one of the things I was uh, trying to do is recreate um, AF Networking's uh, asynchronous category on UI image view that lets you asynchronously load an image off the network um, and and then make it so that next time you don't have to go and get it again that it's stored locally, um, either in memory or on disk. And I um, was asking uh, uh, Jelly and Ben about whether they knew – you know what the story with caching on iOS is at the moment what I should be doing um and we kind of discussed it and didn't really get a clear answer and subsequently I looked it all up uh and I now have a clearer picture which is that um NSURLCache uh exists and it does it all for you for free um and it's awesome yep and uh I learned about this from another source of awesome nshipster.com they've got a whole article about NSURLCache um, and basically, um, since iOS five six, I don't have that little bit of detail to hand. Uh, NS so NS URL cache existed f- from way back, but didn't actually do what it was documented to do. Like, um, there were, you could tell it what cache policy to use, and it just would on iOS would ignore it. And then in in iOS, I think it was six, it may have been five. Um, they started to iOS 5, they actually did start to support disk caching. So memory caching always worked, um, but there was um, an upper limit on the size of data that would be cached. So often if your images were really big, they wouldn't be cached by the early implementation of NSURL cache. Uh. And then as of iOS 5, they brought in disk caching and um, and so it will both do both in memory and cache on disk and all you have to do to use it is set uh, a a default cache for your app. So I did it in my app delegate. You basically um, get an instance of NSURL cache, configure it with the caching um, options you want, and you can specify how large a memory cache you want to use and how large a disk cache you want to use, and then you set that as your uh, active cache. And from then on, any NSURL connection will cache its response in memory and on disk based on the settings
0: you've specified okay that's really handy
1: yeah it's really handy and it works great so
0: i was using an
1: inv- as a say for this image view thing and by setting a, a decent sized memory cache and an even bigger disk cache um that was all i had to do so that images aren't reloaded off the network ever again really they're cached locally um you know the images aren't i'm using unique identifiers for them they're unlikely to change if you've got a copy that's that's the image for all time. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, and how do you spe- how do you specify just the cache images?
1: So you can't say just a particular content type. If you've right. configured a, a URL cache for your app, yep. then um, then any response to, to NS URL connection will be cached. But on the NS URL connection itself, you can specify, or maybe it's in the request, you can specify cache options. Yep. Um so you can override it for a particular you can override the default option for a particular request, like if you really don't want to cache something. So it'll it'll also respect server-side cache control headers. Yep. So if the server's saying that something shouldn't be cached, then um the default is that it won't be. But in the um either the NSURL connection or the request, you can specify cache options. And these are all detailed in the NSHipster article. And those cache options allow you to override default behavior. So even if the server's saying don't cache, you can force it to cache. Um even if your default is to strongly cache everything, and there's certain stuff you want to ignore to, to not cache because you know the server is not setting the proper headers, and you don't want to just stick around, then you can override that. Huh. Um, Good. But for the default, if you just set it, set up your your default cache and then your connections. So the only um, problem I had there was I was actually um, in my asynchronous image loading code. I was just using NS data data with contents of URL because I was I'd like fire okay. off a separate asynchronous task to get it. Yep. That doesn't cache because it's not going through the NS URL connection. Ah, okay. So I rewrote it using the synchronous send synchronous request method on NS URL connection so I could do that in my separate asynchronous task and um,
2: worked fine. Have you ever looked at SD Webu Image? That that's what I use. I find it quite good.
1: Yeah, definitely. So that's by Peter St- Stein. I don't know how to pronounce his surname. Um,
2: you're not sure? It's the, the GitHub username's RS. Um.
1: Okay, maybe it's not the one that I've um I've encountered for because I, th- I came across something called SD Cache, um, and that's that's also mentioned in this NCSIFSTAR article. But that that was kind of plugging a gap that. Prior to iOS five, if you wanted to just to use disk caching, uh, even though or cache documentation said that it did, it didn't, and so SD cache was written um, for that. Um, and I think that the web view, if it's if it's by the same guy that you're discussing, is a similar thing, right? So it's a. You, you tell me what it is. It's a image view that caches.
2: Yeah, it is an image view that caches, and you can you can use it directly as well if you, you want to use it outside an image view. So. But, yeah, it handles all the caching and everything for you, and you can you can specify if you want it to retry, if it's failed, and, you know, it's got a lot, lot of nice options. I've just always found it pretty reliable, so...
1: Yeah, cool. I'll have to check it out. SD Image Cache.
2: Uh, SD Web Image, it's called.
1: Oh, SD Web Image. Okay, cool. Thank you. No so that's... Uh, I think that's... Oh, sorry, there was a, one other bit. We had some feedback from a uh, a listener...
0: Yeah, about exactly that same topic. And he was saying that uh he doesn't use
1: it, was, it was caching sim- at all. Yeah. So no no, it's he, well, he, he, does
0: he doesn't use, use NS
1: URL yeah.
0: connections caching.
1: Yep. So this is from R.B. Beckett. Thanks for the email. And um he is basically saying that his in his case, he really strongly feels that apps um should always work without an internet connection. They shouldn't require a network connection. So he wants all of the content that the app needs to interact with to be stored locally um, and is is a bit concerned about Apple's new policy of automatically clearing cache when the device is running low on on resources. So in the case that you're running offline and um, his app's got a whole heap of access to offline images, um, he wouldn't want them to be deleted from under his app um, because they're kind of really core to the the point of the app, as I understand it. Um, so he then handles that uh, explicitly himself and writes those images to disk somewhere not inside the sort of automatically cleared cache directory. Um, and I think that makes sense. If if your app's all about like interacting with a group of images and you know your users are going to want to do that offline, um, then yeah, yeah, I think relying on a cache system where it can be just deleted without you necessarily knowing about it it's probably not a good idea it's yeah.
0: like everything really it's it's one of those things where uh you have to you have to make the decision based on what you think that your users are actually going to want um many of the things that apple do because this is the way that apple are is that like it's very uh opinionated they have a, a particular idea about how it should be done uh and you just you know that's that's how it's how it's done um so if you w- want to do things that aren't necessarily along those same lines, you you just you have to write it yourself or find another library to do it, and uh, you know I, I think that that's a perfectly valid thing because sometimes there are instances where you're going to want to download content and never ever get rid of it.
1: Yeah, I, I having said that, I I completely agree with what you've said, and at the same time, I see that to be true about Apple; like they are really opinionated, um, and often that means. That if you want to do it the way that isn't exactly how they see it being done, then you've got to do more yourself. But sometimes it can also mean like, um, yeah. Sometimes when I found myself in that situation, I've decided not to fight Apple because um, I-, I worry a little bit about like that they they hold their opinions so strongly that if I find a way to work around it, um, that that way might disappear at the future sometime as well because that they're really. You know, clear. I don't think that that applies to this this case of case. I, I don't think
0: that that necessarily applies to this particular case. I can I can understand what you're trying to say, but I don't think that that's going. That's something that uh, I don't think you you should you know uh, unless you're doing something really really you know sly, then I don't think you really have much to worry about if yeah. you're doing your own uh, doing your own implementations of things. Yeah. Um,
1: And I think that they've relaxed a little bit about, like as I mentioned last time we talked about this, there was a point where they were contacting developers whose apps were in the store already approved saying, we've noticed your apps storing large amounts of data to the documents directory that's just come from the web and that can be re-downloaded unless you move that to the cases directory, we're going to pull your app. Um, I don't think they're really being so hardline about that anymore, but I kind of think that policy still exists and it makes sense in most cases. Like if your content can be easily re-downloaded, um then you know perhaps store it in the cache directory to comply with that but if you know that um that content's really really core cool to you know, I guess it's a it's you know a- Apple's policies where if the content is kind of a document that's been created by the user then store it in documents if it's just a, a locally stored copy of a remote resource that's stored locally for the convenience then store it in caching and I suppose you know. It sounds like in Arby's case, the images are, are almost to the point that they're being managed by the user as documents, um, and they would be really confused if one disappeared from them. But um, you know, things like newsstand publications, which is I think what brought this all about, where past issues can easily be re-downloaded. At some point where you've got a good internet connection, um, then you know, using caching makes
0: sense. I-
2: I found as well with the, um, ever since people can find out how much space your app is actually using. I'm not sure if that was iOS 5 or 6. We had a bug way back, um, where it wasn't clearing out properly and your users definitely let you know pretty quick if you're starting to use too much space. So, you know, there are a lot of users that, that watch that and, and get pretty vocal when you when you go over too much.
1: Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And like topical at the moment with new devices coming out, um people trying to decide what size storage to go for. Um you know, I've been looking at how much space I'm using on my phone and how much is free and thinking, "Oh, can I get away with, you know, uh, only a 32 uh gig version?" Um and you kind of do browse through uh, apps and you know, look at what you know how much uh yeah, how much space each is taking up and kind of make judgments about them based on that.
2: Yeah, um, definitely on my old iPads where my kids are using now the, you know, when the space fills up because they've got a hundred games on there, the the first thing I do is go to and have a look which ones using up the most space and, you know, they're most likely to get chopped. Yeah,
0: I, I looked last night at my usage uh, while I was sitting around with the guys at cocoa Heads because, you know, again, thinking about what, what, uh, iphone i 'm going to was going to get um because the last one I got was a sixty four gig uh which was before itunes match i thought, i don't think iTunes match was even out in australia yeah, before no, that when that arrived so i was and I, I had basically all of my music on my phone and uh so i i used the the sixty four gig and uh since then i looked it up last night i 'm using six point eight gig total Six point eight gig total.
1: In total, wow! So I, I'm looking at my now. I'm using twelve point three gig, and this is on a device that I recently. Um, uh, when I installed the iOS seven uh, GM, um, I haven't reinstalled all the apps, so I'd, I'd back up and restore from backup. But because I've got multiple Apple IDs. The apps I've previously had installed, I, I don't know what the actual restore from backup experience is meant to be like. Are you the apps you've installed
0: meant to come back onto your device when you restore? Yeah. Okay, mine don't. Just, just like, like mine have. Yeah. Like I did that. This, I've, I've, I'm holding my phone in my hand. I, my, my new one, my five S. I did a backup this morning while sitting on the floor outside the Apple store, yeah. and using their Wi-Fi because super fast. Yeah. And uh, restored it this morning when i got home and it's already like all the apps are downloaded yeah so mine don't um and i think it's because i've got multiple
1: i've got apps purchased with multiple apple id's yeah. and only one of those apple id's is associated with my
0: device in terms of my app iP- you know the... usually it comes up with a little thing to ask you for the password for that particular account yeah. though so what happens is um the documents
1: that uh for all of the apps are restored so when i re-download an app from the app store and, and install it again um it is reunited with its data, which is kind of nice. Um, but the apps aren't, aren't themselves installed. So anyway, uh, I, I've got only a few apps on here, but I'm still already using 12.3 gig, uh, 8 gig of which is photos.
0: Um, I take lots of photos of the kid. Uh, yeah, that's fair.
1: Almost a gig of messages. That's a, uh, that amazes I, me.
0: I, I haven't got very many messages, but that's that's only because about six months ago, I replaced my phone with a new one and ended up, not doing not a backup. backup, like not restoring from a backup. I ended up doing a clean slate with it. I was kind of
1: thinking about this the other day and wondering, I wonder if you could do anything with those messages and export them into some format and browse them and can. look at them.
0: There are there are methods of doing that, which That's is what really I cool. did in order to make sure that I still had them. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's kind of funny. I
1: exchange, um yeah, a fair few messages with my wife, you know, every now and then about all sorts of weird stuff. And I was kind of thinking I've got a, a young kid, um, and, you know, I was uh, looking through some of my letters that my gran exchanged with my grandfather during the war back when uh, and found it really interesting. Um, and I was kind of wondering, uh, are grandchildren and the future generations going to miss out on being able to see those details of communications we had with one another because they're all ephemeral these days? Um, and then I thought maybe maybe someone will do something cool about exporting um, archiving SMSs. Um so our future, future <laughs> generations So that they can <laughs> read all of our emoticons <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. and text speak
0: Awesome And just go you Awesome
1: know, Be so nostalgic I read the letters my grandparents exchanged And they did discuss, discuss all sorts of trivia But to me, like, you know A couple of generations into the future It's fascinating trivia um, I don't know that anyone's going to ever be fascinated By the sort of stuff uh, I put
0: in messages
1: we're way off topic <laughs> we are and we should
0: get back on topic uh because we're we're you know now like what 20 something minutes or so into the sh- into the into the show and we I still you- haven't introduced who our guest is right that's true and did i tell you how much i want to how much i want to discuss with our guest so f- before you you know start talking again and we can't get you to stop <laughs> <laughs> to too late this, okay. week, this week on this week's episode uh we have A very special guest, Stuart Hall, and... I think you'll find it
2: Stuart K. Hall. Oh, whatever. Is that right?
0: (laughs) Should I be using a specific name?
2: Uh, Stuart Hall's fine. (laughs)
0: Yeah, see? (laughs) See, Jake? See? Sorry. So, uh, Stuart, you are uh, one of the guys behind uh, Discover, I believe? That's right, yep. There are, yep. And uh, you also created the seven minute workout app, which I use now as of last week. You know, we, 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 sorry, we talked about it like two weeks ago and I've been using it since then. And it's very good. Great. Very good. Thank you.
1: And AppBot, right? As well. AppBot's your work? Yeah. AppBot's mine as well.
0: Yeah, cool. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the work that you do, Stuart.
2: Sure. Um, So, yeah, uh, Dave and I founded Discover two and a half years ago. Um, so he's the marketing and design brains and I'm the developer. So, um, yeah, I just do a lot of iOS development and I do a little bit of Ruby development around that. Um, yeah, so that's basically me.
1: And Discover's um, a an app for discovering... Um- other things, right? So did it start off as an app discovery app or a music discovery app or both at the same time?
2: No, music discovery was first um, and then... So it's a visual discovery method um at the moment uh, we've just spent eighteen months completely redoing discover music from scratch and um it's about oh, cool. to, about to come out next week um, awesome. and it's yeah it's com- it's completely different so um we're at the the graph component is still a part of the app, but there's a lot more all around it um yeah, so we did the discover music app. Um, which did quite well. We started on iPad only, then it went to iPhone. Um, then we did app discovery, and then movie discovery, and then um, Twitter discovery. After that, so we went sideways, and now we kind of come full circle and focus back on music.
1: Yeah, nice. And it's um, it's a really nice app for people that haven't used it. Um, I particularly like the thing that struck me about it when I first used it was the interface of being able to see a graph representing the connections between music that I like and other music that I might like and being able to just kind of follow those links um kind of really easily and painlessly and with a nice sort of visual feedback when you when you do so. Um I think I actually contacted you a while back. I I was keen to use a similar sort of uh is it called a directed graph or a um there's a word proper word for isn't it it? because it uses physics
2: yeah, it's it's a directed graph, but you know it's um it's node theory is kind of what it's called back in the if you look in the textbook. So it's it's a really old way of representing data, and it's used, you know, throughout lots of different like science areas. And uh, Dave came from marine science, and they they were using it there to kind of re- represent different um, marine colonies and things like that. So that's kind of where he got introduced to it. And, yeah. Uh,
1: cool. Yep. And there's sort of algorithms you can use to automatically lay it out so that things um kind of when you when you expand a node and see related connected things, they reposition nicely and
2: Yeah, there is um, quite a there's some JavaScript libraries and those sort of things. We were silly enough to build ours completely from scratch. Um to, Yeah, just, and it's a
1: great implementation, it looks cool.
2: Yeah. So um we, we actually worked with a guy uh from from Europe that um you know, has a PhD in in that area to come up with all the maths and tweak it to how we thought it should feel. You know a lot of the other implementations are kind of a lot more snappier and a bit less smooth, I guess. So we you know we tweaked it to how we thought it should work, and I think it came out okay.
1: Yeah, nice. Hey, out of interest, of you looking at revisiting it with iOS seven's um, dynamics? Yeah, but kind we, of. When I saw that, like, would that make something like that layout easier to implement? Or um,
2: um, yeah, I yeah. actually have had to play with it. Um, from what I've seen, it it just won't uh, it won't scale to the level we need. Um, so once right. you start adding, because cause that dynamics is still quite view based, that um you you know you just end up with so much stuff on the screen, it just kind of grinds to a halt. So um, I haven't played with it enough to completely rule it out, but um. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure it's going to work yet.
1: Yeah, okay. There you go. Um yeah, cool. Okay, so I I have heaps of questions. Uh I've I've been reading as I said before, I've been reading your blog for ages and um every time I read a post, I kind of mentally have all these things I'd love to discuss with you and it's great to have you on the show to you know have an opportunity to be able to do that. Um so I guess you know, given that we don't have infinite time, though, and there's a whole heap of other topics I want to get to, maybe I'll skip over a few and, and we can loop back if we need to. Um, but And let's talk a little bit more about um, the thing that prompted us to get you on the show, which is that seven-minute workout. Um, yeah, do you want to tell a little bit more of the story that you you have around that app, that you you sort of have a couple of blog posts to describe tell Tell us all about um what was that experiment
2: all about sure um so as I mentioned before, we'd spent the last eighteen months like rebuilding discover music from from scratch and um so i wanted to I wanted to try a little experiment that was kind of completely opposite to what we've always done, where it's you know we take our take our time build it right out. Get it, get it right. Build, you know, get press releases in place. Get everything ready and done, and you know, go with a big launch. I wanted to try something completely different, where I just threw something together in a night, something you know, with a few screens, threw it in the app store. Didn't, didn't tell anyone about it. Didn't, uh, didn't even tell my wife. Don't, don't do any marketing and just see what happens. So, that was the initial inspiration, and um, and then just to, just to like you know, learn a little bit and disprove a few miss I guess floating around. I you know, I was watching the the tweets yeah, so from did... the One More Thing conference and uh yeah. so one of the I think it was the Macworld um writers was there, you know, outlining how how he wants to get press releases and things like that and um, you know, in my opinion what the way he was outlining it, you know, just completely wouldn't work and um, you know, so I wanted to to test out that theory and um, and you know and just building a story around your app.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that was that was Lex Friedman that was uh, that was giving that particular talk. Yep. And uh, so the way that he for those of those who haven't didn't go to one more thing and haven't seen uh, what he was talking about, he was basically asking you to be really direct and to the point and be like, "This is my app. This is why you'll like it. Here are some screenshots, and here's a code that you can use the app." I guess. Um, that's somewhat paraphrased of course. Um, but I, I would say that the, the thing that came, uh, the main kind of, uh, theme that kind of wove its way through, uh, through this, this year's one more thing was probably more to do with, uh, with story. Like when, when we talked about your, like about the story regarding, uh, regarding seven minute workout, uh, Last on the last episode, um, that would it brought it brought to mind at least a couple of the other talks from uh from One More Thing this year, which which they talked about you know how really uh the best thing that you can have for your app is a story as to why it exists and and why people should uh should get involved in it. And do you think do you think that made a made a difference? Uh, with with uh the seven minute workout at all
2: yeah definitely um and I think that's you know that's one of the things I wanted to go about proving is you know to if you want to get people to write about your app it's not about you know hey here's my app here's a link to some screenshots it's really like building the story around it and trying to you know sell it to the you know you want to sell it to people and you want to sell it to the um you know to the writers in that you know there needs to be something that people can really kind of latch onto and, you know, feel a part of and to, you know, no one really wants to read about, oh, here's you know, here's a list of features. People want to like really, really feel something and, you know, really jump out of their seat to go grab it. And, you know, that's done yeah. by, you know, creating a story or creating an app good enough that people talk about it. Um,
0: yeah, I mean it's 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 about engaging, as as cliche as that uh, as that is. It's about engaging with uh, your users and and you know and getting them engaged in 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 the app and f- making them feel like it's it's their app, not just some other dude's app.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Um. And you know, at the time I was reading, there's a really good book called The Fortune Cookie Principle, which is um, you know, yep. it's. It's actually written by a a, a lady here in perth um, and it's really great and it 's just about um, building a great brand story and a few lots lots of different things you need to consider um, around that so I was reading that at the time and that was really resonating so you know i I just wanted to test out a few different theories so um, at the time the seven minute workout was doing quite well on like hack and News and it was getting a buzz around the place and it was you know fitness is something I know absolutely nothing about so I thought it was kind of the perfect one to to try out in that you know I'd had absolutely no advantage in that area with any domain knowledge or anything like that so and I thought it was something I could implement quite simply and something that I'd actually use myself to and um, you know had a pretty good idea about what it should do so that's kind of how it started.
1: Yeah. Right so let me get this right so the the experiment was but your, your hypothesis was that um that tell if you if you just stick an app in the app store that's not enough uh you need to somehow market it uh if you just send people press releases that's not enough because you know um you need to have some some sort of uh I don't want to say hook but I kind of do uh you know some way of getting people in a story around it that's going to get people to pay attention and be interested and engaged uh, not just this is my app and these are its features so yeah. that that was is that correct and that, that was your hypothesis
2: that that's yeah um, partially in that um you know the the actual name seven minute workout tells a big story in it, in itself so um you know part of the hypothesis i guess was it would it would sell itself a little bit in that the, the name tells the story you know people people see that and they they react to the actual name going seven minute workout i've got 7 minutes i need to work out you know, and it, it kind of conjures up a whole bunch of things in your head where if you called it, you know, workout plus, you know, it just, there's nothing yeah. there, there's no hook, there's no, you know. So yeah. the hypothesis was it would, yeah, it would sell a little bit. Um, there, you know, absolutely nobody would write about it because I'm just sending them, you know, a couple of screenshots and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, so that was, that was the initial hypothesis and then it kind of grew from there. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And so, and kind of, it sounds like your method was basically to, to release the app without much marketing around it, measure the response. Yep. Then do some, some different marketing activities and after each measure the response. Yep. Exactly. Um, And then kind of iterated that on a few times. And so I understand you started off as a, as a paid app without any promotion. Yep. That's right. At some point later, you switched to a paid app that you were actively promoting and then you switched to a free app. And then eventually said it switched to a free app within app purchase. So, do you want to talk us through a little bit about um, how what you what the results of this experiment were in terms of what was the response at each stage sure. along the way, and yeah. um, what did you learn from it?
2: Sure. Uh, so yeah, initially it was launched at a um, ninety nine cent paid app. Uh, with absolutely no marketing, not telling friends or family or anything to so there was absolutely no influence. And so it started selling about, you know, uh about forty copies a day, you know, so it was making about thirty dollars a day, which wasn't too bad really for, you know, a couple of hours of work. So I sat down yeah. I sat down one night and it was you know, it's three screens and a timer basically and a few YouTube videos. So um just collected a bunch of content, threw it in the app. Uh, used flat UI kit, which was out at the time, to build a really simple flat-looking interface. Um, yeah, then I just threw it out there without telling anybody at at all. And um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, so yeah, I was doing about twenty dollars a day, not thirty. But um, yeah, so it was, and as you said, I mean,
1: that's not that's not too bad if you could sustain it. But um, you know, I think that the trend generally is that apps, whatever sales you get. After, soon after launch, aren't sustained in the absence of anything else. That eventually it drops down to.
2: Yeah, uh, we I found with apps generally, you, you know, definitely the first two weeks is a bit of bit of noise where you have spikes. Generally, after two weeks, you, you you generally sort of flatline, and that's the that's the level you kind of stay at, which is you know what I've found with seven minute workout as well. So yeah so then so then I did one point one where I did marketing i followed um lex freeman's example exactly um i s- i sent it to him as well um exactly in his format with the you know link to screenshots um a promo code and you know and um did
1: did it work did he write about it
2: no uh so I sent out forty promo codes i think to ten different uh review sites um there was four promo codes where um claimed and that's because those four were given away on twitter by one of the sites um so not actually not even one of the um, reviewers actually even bothered installing it so wow. um yeah so there was abs- you know absolutely there was no press about it and i don't think it, any of them even tried it out um so the the next part of the experiment was i made it universal so i added ipad support uh, just really simply with exactly the same screens just in a split view um and that, you know, that made very little difference as well. You know, there was a, maybe a slight growth, but really, really nothing to talk about. Um, and then, the, so the next part of the experiment, um, so, you know, given here, I was doing about 30 downloads a day, $20. Um, so then I went free um, and I had about about 220,000 downloads in three days. Um wow.
1: So, wow. So hang on, from 20 downloads, yep, to 220,000.
2: Uh, over th- yeah, over 3 days, so you know the
1: Go, And that's that's going from 99 cents to free.
2: 99 cents to free. I yeah. find that
1: that blows my mind that that, that there's 220,000 people who are interested enough in your app to spend the time to download it and install it. But 200 19,980 of those people aren't interested enough to pay 99 cents.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's amazing. It, it, were you
1: surprised by that big, that's such a huge gap between how many people will pay attention to an app that's 99 cents and how many people will, will pay attention to an app that's free?
2: I definitely wasn't surprised that there's a lot more because I've seen it before, but not to that extent. That, that thing was pretty, pretty crazy. Um, yeah. and yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, the, the whole free. There's something psychological about the free price point, and yeah, I was um, going to
1: ask, what do you think if what if, if there was a ten cent price point? Do you think that you would get somewhere sitting between your twenty downloads and your two hundred twenty thousand downloads, or do you think it would still be basically, you know, maybe forty downloads? Or uh, I yeah, think I think it would be, be nowhere near the same as free.
2: I think it would be still nowhere near the same as free, and I think the same thing. If I had it gone out at free, I wouldn't have seen anything the same. It's it's the whole psychological thing around. You know something worth money going free, so you know it's it's the same as, um, you know, if if there was a free newspaper on the corner every day, you know there's a certain number of people that would grab it. But then if you have your local, pa- your you know your local paper that's normally you know what two dollars whatever they are now, someone stands on the corner and gave them away for free that day. Heaps of people would grab them because there's just that perceived thing where you're getting something that's worth a certain value for free. So mm. yeah I think the whole you know the the price change is is a really big thing and um yeah it, and, and then- it's really
1: interesting to me that people are obviously not pricing their time much because the time it takes to install and spend time using an app that's free yep he has got to be s- get approaching 99 cents of of, of your time right like <laughs> exactly yep um I don't
0: think people actually think like they that don't price very much time, though well they don't like yeah. they
1: they value the the cash that they've got in their pocket, or should I be saying the cash they've got in their pocket? No, but that's, <laughs> that's that is right. cash. Wait, is that cash? Okay. They're valuing the cash that they've got in their pocket much more highly than the um, opportunity cost of the time that they could be spending earning more cash. That they've sunk into playing free games on but, their iPhone for but ten hours.
0: you're you're looking at it from the perspective of a of a contractor that charges per by the hour or by the day, right? right? Most people don't do that. And so their their free so you're time just has saying, I'm nothing.
1: Just, I'm just too focused on my. You're very my, my focused hourly rate. on your hourly rate. I've got it it would down sing. to how much I can earn. <laughs> how long does it take me to earn ninety nine yeah. cents?
0: If it's, it's like, should I download this app? Uh, no, because it's going to cost me more in time than what I could be achieving if I actually did work. Spe-
1: speaking of which, if if you want this podcast to continue, could you all just tap now for an in app purchase to spend, <laughs> send me one more cent?
2: I <laughs> think. I think it's, I think it's no. also people aren't. Cheap between paying 99 cents for my app and free for another app that you know there's there's a whole segment that just choosing should i download this free app or that free app so it's right yeah. you know they're, you, they're they're just the whole market that won't spend you know money on apps even though they've paid a thousand dollars for right. their phone and there's,
0: and there's there's whole like business models set up around that idea because there are apps and and websites that Specialize in finding apps that have you know recently been dropped in price or dropped to free, and and you know notifying people about them, and then people you know are just like oh an app went free, let's go and download it.
2: Exactly, yeah, and there's you know there's things yeah. like App Shopper where you can go, you know, I want this app, tell me when it goes free, and you know, so there's all crazy things around that, and it shows how big the market is, I guess, that they exist. So, so what
1: what's your kind of um bigger picture perspective on the craziness of this market then you know wh- how do you feel about th- these sorts of games that we all have to play um, do you think it's sustainable do you think it will settle down at some point and people's behaviour will be a little bit more uh, make sense like to me that makes no sense right like why you, you, you have all of these complex mechanisms for, like a service that allows you to register for a notification for when a paid app will become free because you know that the developers are going to have to do all of these weird changes of price all the time to kind of try different things out. And it just yeah. kind of feels like that we're all kind of doing quite artificial things um, to, to make it economically feasible to create apps for people. Um, like we've got to try and find a way to fund the development of apps that we want to do. Um, and, it, Charging people an upfront cost for it isn't working. Yep. Um, do you, yeah, how do you feel about this whole, the whole market and where it's at and where it's going?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we, we've definitely all had the, the glory days of the, the app store where people did pay for apps upfront and, you know, it was really, really, really great for a while. And I wish it could stay that way. But I think realistically, you know, you can see from the top gracing charts where, you know, I think 80% of them are free now. It's, um, you know, it's definitely going that way where it's, it's not, it's not going to be that anymore. So as much as I'd like to hold on to that, you know, the last five years that we've had those really good times, I think it's, you know, we've just got to be realistic that that's, that's not going to happen anymore. You know, maybe in really niche products, you can. Maybe if Apple bring out some sort of trial mechanism, then. It can go back that way, but I'm not thinking that's going to happen. And, um, you know, with the way there's no no upgrade path for people, I think we, you know, everything's just going to move to in-app purchases for the better or worse. And, you know, it's probably for the worse, but as app developers, we're going to keep making money. So we've kind of got to go with it, I think.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of worry a little bit about whether Apple's thinking through the long-term consequences of the... Of the market mechanisms they've created, because it makes you know you're right, you look at the top grossing apps, and it kind of depresses me a bit because the vast majority of them are free um within app purchase, and the vast majority of the like top ten or whatever are kind of scammy, like they're they're apps that really don't offer much value to the user, they're simulated gambling or things like that, where you know, the user's not actually getting a great deal out of it, but is clearly parting with a fair bit of cash in the process of using it. And that's not to say all apps that are free within App Purchase are scammy. There's certainly a heap of people that are developing apps that are are valuable to users that people will enjoy using. That are kind of feels to me like that are resorting to that mechanism of of selling them because that's the only one that'll work. And I, I worry that um, you know, if you're in a situation where you, you said that. I think I kind of looked at your aggregate summary stats you had at the end. That you ended up netting about, well, at the time of writing, about six grand in revenue from five hundred and twenty thousand downloads. Is that about right? Uh,
2: yep. That, uh, that at the time, yeah. It's yeah, it's up a bit now, but yeah, I think that was about right. About six grand in revenue, about four four and a half grand in profit at that time. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and from about that's half a million people using it. That seems to me like. Yeah, it, is it? Um, do you think that that's sustainable for apps generally? And as apps become more complex in terms of, you know, rather than being an idea that you can put together in a day or two, something that's going to take a larger investment. You know, things like you know uh, what you've said. You have spent all this time rebuilding um uh, the Discover apps. Yep. It, it, do you think that you're going to get enough people to download it, so that the few people that you convince to make an in-app purchase will actually fund the the development that's necessary to do apps of that complexity? Or do you think we're just going to stop seeing complex apps and in a few years' time the only apps that people can afford to build will be ones that, you know, that don't, that only take the absolute minimum of effort and that maximise the opportunity for Micro transactions to get little bits of money from people. <laughs>
2: um, no, I think we'll definitely continue seeing like segments. You know, I think even now and in the past, it's you know it's a very small percentage of app developers that actually make the money. So um, I think we'll continue seeing that phase where it's you know the top five percent of app developers make ninety percent of the money, um, and it's all about you know. So I think the Seven-minute workout. Um, you know, obviously, I didn't have the in-app purchase when it went free, so in in a lot of ways, a lot of those numbers, you know, are a bit null and void if you if you miss that opportunity. But the um, you know, the current the current rate is between two and three percent conversion to pro. So you know, there's I think you can definitely improve that by you know you can improve by getting more numbers. You can or you can improve by um, trying to convert. Like a higher percentage of people, or you convert by, you know, which is part three of the experiment is by, you know, selling them more content. So, um, that, you know, that's what's, that's what I'm going to try out next is by, you know, you give them the same level of functionality it has now, but then you add, you know, more workouts and things like that so i I definitely think we we can see people maintaining complex apps um but you you've definitely gotta look at your if you've got server costs and things like that you've gotta you've gotta make sure your conversion percentage is high enough to cover those yeah, and I
1: suppose what complements all of this is that those costs are coming down as well, you know these days in terms of get paying for the server side infrastructure to support an app is getting. Easier to scale in the sense that you can. There's so many different cloud services that you can get started with without a lot of upfront investment. Yep. And if you end up finding that you've got so many users that you need to, to scale more, then you've got some enough revenue to fund the, the scaling rather than you know. So I remember I'm feeling old talking about this, but back in back in the early days of web apps, <laughs> <laughs> if you if you wanted to launch, uh, you know. Launch something and you were lucky enough to get a whole heap of people using it. You had to like spend massive investment in, in setting up physical server infrastructure, a huge amount of development effort. You had to go into all the different layers of the app. Whereas these days, so many cloud services, you know, very few people really need to get their own hardware up and running, at least when you're first trying out an idea. And the, the kind of stack of that we're developing on top of is, um, getting you know doing a lot of the underlying work for you more often so you you kind of f- doing less work to to create an app equally as complex as one that would have taken you heaps more time a few years back yeah so I guess whilst it's getting harder to get people to pay for for internet services that they're accessing through mobile apps uh it's getting cheaper to fund the development
2: Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. I um, mean, and I think seven minute workouts made around $7,000 profit now for, you know, 20 hours worth of work. So, you know, although it's not that's, a high that's number, good. it's still, you know, it's still pretty good. So, um, yeah. and, and you know, it's still, t-
0: I, I wouldn't be complaining.
2: <laughs> it still ticks along at around $70 a day profit, you know, um, and obviously I have to do an iOS 7 update now and things like that. But, um, you know, for the probably the last, a uh, month and a half, two months. I just haven't even had time to even look at it, and it sticks away at seventy dollars a day. So I think you can. Yeah, that's you, nice. You, you it's know, a, I think there's certainly you, There's still to- there's still room there for people to you know make make money. Obviously, you can live off that still. But um, you know, if you you could make four or five apps like that, you could you could definitely live off that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, but I guess the the concern I have is things like um, you know, Apple for example making uh the iWork apps free now. Yeah, uh, with new devices, obviously. So they're they're kind of um, bundling the cost of those app into the, into the devices they're selling people, and getting new people into the Apple Apple ecosystem means, you know, it's good for Apple. But is that changing people's expectations of what software should cost? You know, on the one hand, I get my new device and I get all of this software for free. That's you know, not simple software. It's software that would take, you know, software engineers years and years to develop the equivalent functionality does that kind of say something about this is how much what you should value software as you shouldn't expect to have to pay much and you should get, you know, fantastic quality software.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I I tweeted something about it when they announced that Uh, that, that that really worries me. You know, I think the the iOS uh, world and like the Mac world before that, you know, it's always been compared to other markets where, you know, quality software costs money. And I think, you know, Apple users have always kind of appreciated that and, you know, been happy to spend money on software, but, and, you know, and Apple have always charged for their software and the, the fact that's changing is definitely, you know, definitely a concern and, you know, but that's that's the way that even the the market's going. Like we were talking about with the top-grossing apps, you know, people, people just aren't spending money on apps up front. They want, you know, we're almost going back to trial versions and, you know, in app upgrades and all those sort of things. So, yeah, yeah. it's definitely a and it's certainly... This,
1: so. this challenge isn't unique to the software development world. I mean, things like, uh, you know, newspapers where traditionally people were happy to pay, uh, you know, money out of their pocket for news content. Uh, nowadays the expectations have been reset and people expect to be able to access news, news content for free. Yep. And so the the creators of that content are trying to find all sorts of creative ways to, you know, um, make money out of giving people content for free, yeah. Um, and it, you know, the kind of consequence in the news slash entertainment world is you end up um, that that if you you know it's this is a really tired cliche that if um if you're not paying for something then you're the product, um, yep, a, a little bit like that that you know, people are getting. Content for free, but the content's so embedded with marketing and and advertising, um, and brand placement and things like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That we're all kind of still paying for it, um, but in less explicit ways. And I kind of, yeah. Again, I'm, sound, I'm feeling like an old man worrying about all of this because maybe, maybe for younger people, uh, it doesn't matter. The yeah. world will just get. We'll have a world <laughs> where we get everything, all our software and services, and and content for free, and and people will make money out of um measuring all all of our perceptions and understanding and everything <laughs> we say and think about things and yep. marketing to us.
2: Yeah, like you said, I think it's a really common thing through the you know, the real world. You know, I think printers are a really good example where you get this printer for twenty dollars and then they make all their money by you paying fifty dollars for a new cartridge for it, where it's actually cheaper just to go to buy the whole new printer again. Um yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that whole cheap up front and then expensive in the long run, you know, is definitely a real really common pattern. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, so I mean, it sounds like a really a really interesting experiment that you've done. Um and and I'd encourage everyone uh to, to check out your blog posts on it. And it sounds like you there's another one in the in the works. You've got a next the next step in this experiment still to go? Uh
2: yeah, I haven't actually done anything on it yet. But um yeah the, there's been a few a few places approach where they want they want me to use their content in the in the app and make specialized content and things like that. You know, for free, just for the exposure around their name. So, I, I want to experiment with adding more workouts there that you can unlock, um, and just see, you know, see see what happens, and you know, our people, you know, see how people react to you know having to spend more money, and you know, I expect that you know people will be quite happy to have a level of free content, and then pay to unlock more.
1: Yeah, I I mean the thing that so I've also done a free app with an in-app purchase to access more content um in the past it's a it's actually a kids app and kids apps with in-app purchases are uh, the worst of the worst. You're you're such an
0: awful person, Dave. <laughs> um
1: the, the it's certainly I I've made it so hard to make the in-app purchase happen um that I'm hoping kids aren't making it uh, happen that it's their parents that are doing it. I really do. Yep. I mean there's stuff like in you can write your app so it respects parental controls and that if your app purchases are turned off, you even hide anything that lets people know that there isn't an app purchase. Yep. Um, I don't know how if many people do that, but uh, and I don't know if many parents turn in app purchases off. I imagine that most apps still include information about how you can get extra levels or whatever, even if that setting's been disabled. Um, but the one thing that I do like about the idea is that um, it lowers the barrier to people trying something out uh, and then the people that you're you're asking to give you money are the ones that have already seen your 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 app and are valuing it enough to consider the the next the next step. Yeah. So it's not like you're trying to say you know, I think you're probably right that if if you've actually got Already a few percent of people that are that are doing an app purchase for the pro version, those people have already said, "I value this app enough that i 'm going to spend ninety nine cents on some more functionality yep I think it's much easier sell to say to them, well hey if if shows you know clearly you 're enjoying using this app uh, you 've already paid a little bit more here's some other stuff as well that they might also value yeah, and it kind of I guess lets you address. The subset of your potential audience that are the most likely to pay for stuff because they're getting the most value out of it, that they're enjoying it the most, and um, yeah, it seems like a, a really good idea. It'd be great to hear how that all goes.
2: Yeah, I think definitely, and you know, it took me a long time to get my head around in-app purchases, and this is kind of my first experiment into them. And you know, I, I feel a lot more comfortable selling someone, you know, a bunch more content or a new workout than you know the. You know what most top-grossing apps are, where they sell—you're selling a bunch of gems or a bunch of credits, where it's, you know, you don't—you're not really getting anything real out of it, or any, you know, new content. you just basically, you know, you're buying something completely virtual and expendable. So, I, yeah, I
1: exactly. And that we should make that clear that there are different categories of in-app content. Like the API even differentiates between them, and there's one which is a consumable type, which is what you've just described. You know, it's some virtual good that you can use and then get rid of um and then they're gone and you've got nothing left to show for it and then there are others that um there's subscriptions which are recurring payments and then there's you know an in-app purchase for extra functionality or for some content that you get to keep um and that last kind i you know the other thing i like about it is that you can re-download past purchases so even if you've like deleted the app or forgotten about it or whatever happens you install it again you don't actually have to make that purchase again you can just kind of re-download previously uh purchased stuff yep um yeah it sounds cool and um i think we're probably getting towards the end of the the this episode um but i just wanted before we go say like thank you so much for sharing all of this um insight through firstly your blog and also through joining us i think it's there aren't at uh, many people that are so open with their numbers, and I think it is. There's a lot to be learnt from it.
2: Great, well, thanks for reading. It's yeah, it is enjoyable writing about it and learning. And you know, I learn a lot by writing it, and the feedback I get's really interesting as well.
1: Yeah, cool. So we'll, we'll certainly pay attention to where it goes from here. And um, look, there, as I mentioned, I've actually got a list of whole heap of other of your blog posts that I wanted to to quiz you on, but I think we're running. Uh, running out of time.
0: Look, if if, uh, if they're going to take as long as it's taken you to, to talk about this <laughs> one particular blog post, I'm going to go with we need several more episodes.
1: Right. Well, so let me just draw people's attention to it, uh, to the ones that I thought were 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 most interesting to me personally that I've got questions about. Um, you did one uh, that I really enjoyed about, um, where, is it, where is it, tips that you'd want if you were first starting out development, things that you've learned now that you'd like, you you know, wish someone told you at the beginning. Yep.
2: Um
1: and I thought that was great. I thought it's a great idea to be able to reflect on, you know, what advice would I give myself if I was just starting out. Um and there was a whole heap of stuff in there, although I disagree with you on storyboards, but we won't get into that.
0: <laughs> yeah. That, that sounds like I would agree with you on
1: storyboards. Yes, yes you would. Yay! That was great yeah. sure <laughs> and we'll put
2: the
0: links
1: to these posts in, in the that show was notes. definitely my um,
2: the most controversial point in that. That that post, but um, you know that's that's definitely been far and away my biggest blog post. I think it's like well over a hundred thousand views on that one.
1: Yeah, cool. Because I mean, it's great. It's it, it really covers a lot of of good things. Um, you talked did another one about your development tool belt. Um, where you, and the things I wanted to quiz you on, which we'll have to do some other time, is um about analytics and testing things like that. Yep. Um. Uh, yeah, and then I think those are the the main ones that um. That I had questions on, but that we won't have time to get to, because I was hoping to squeeze in at least one tiny micro topic. What is it? I, I want to talk about eye beacons. I'm so excited about eye beacons, and I- I've been keeping quiet because it's under NDA. But it's out of NDA,
0: and I'm just next episode. Okay, because I know that you'll want to talk to talk to <laughs> us about it for more than, more than then, a couple of minutes. For next episode. Next so, episode. Eye beacons. We will talk about eye beacons then.
1: Okay, that's it then. That's all I got.
0: So. Uh, Stuart, if people want to get in touch with you or read your blog, where can they go to do so?
2: Uh, well, my blog's com. S-T-U-A-R-T. Um, yeah, they can read about there and my link to my Twitter and everything's there if they want to, if they want to get in contact with me. Well,
0: it's pretty much the same. I think your Twitter and everything is pretty much the same, Stuart K. Hall, yes?
2: Yeah, that's right. It's kind of what the K is for because it's pretty unique.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... Now, if anybody wants to read any of the other stuff that we've met that has been mentioned today, you can do so. Uh, they will be in our show notes, and we'll also link. We'll also link to uh, some of the blog posts that Jake mentioned uh, and uh, other things as well. You can go to mobilecouch.co forward slash eighteen for those. Uh and if you want to get in touch with us, send us feedback, uh, you can do that as well. Uh, mobilecouch.co forward slash contact or you can uh tweet at us at underscore mobile couch or you can talk to us on app.net at mobile couch. We're also on Google Plus and Facebook. But really? Nobody really cares about those. We're we're on Google Plus and oh, Facebook. We are. Wow. Uh now if you want to talk to Jake individually you can do the, you can do that as well. He is J McMullen, J M A C M U L L I N.
1: Everywhere except for Google
0: And <laughs> <Infos>. Facebook. <laughs> right. And uh and I'm Jelly Bean Soup on Twitter and Jelly on app.net. Thanks guys for listening. It's been another exciting episode, and uh, we look forward to talking to you in another another couple of weeks. We'll see you then. Bye.
2: See ya. Bye.